Matthew chapter 25, you might think it's not exactly appropriate, but you're going to see as the study unfolds, it's going to be very appropriate for what's taking place in the world. I asked Joshua when he did the Wednesday night study that um, he would make mention that I would address um, uh, the trauma that's taking place worldwide on Sunday morning. And um, I thank the Lord uh, that he has put together um, this message. So we're in Matthew chapter 24, reading verses 32 to 35, and you will see how this is going to uh, work into our study this morning. We refer to this as the Olivet Discourse. It begins in Matthew chapter 24, and it ends at the end of Matthew chapter 25. Now learn this parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer's near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the very door. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. I've entitled this morning's message, Just the Facts. And I got to be honest with you here. When I, <laughs> when I said those words in the back of my head, I'm thinking of Sergeant Joe Friday from the old TV series Dragnet, where he's interviewing somebody and uh, they're giving him answers, but he has to stop them and say, just the facts, ma'am. He just wants to know what the facts are. And then behind that, in the back of my head, I, I could sort of hear the music. Dun, 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 dun. And I'm thinking with all the seriousness and heaviness that's going off, if, if I can lighten it up with a little humor in the beginning. Um, and having said that, um, actually... Um, seeing the biggest birth pain unfold in the last days right before my very eyes. There's only one bigger, and I'll get to that in a little bit. This morning we will look at just the facts on the coronavirus itself. Just the facts, number one. Number two this morning we'll be looking at just the facts on all the other worldwide Oh, as Romans 8 would say it, groanings that the world is going through in the form of of other plagues and in some cases, I believe, even judgments. And then finally, just the facts on Bible prophecy for telling these very events that are unfolding right now. So my job this morning is to put a biblical perspective uh, on what's taking place. We should not be a bit surprised of what's happening. After all, for over 40 years, the things we're watching right now, we've been talking about. And one thing in particular that I'm sort of saving for the end. Just the facts, number one, just the facts that the uh, the coronavirus is real, it's pretty well documented. 
And um, there's, I did a lot of research on this, and I have a big chart with every country um, and the numbers that are involved with it. And it breaks down something like this. As of March 28th, what is that, yesterday? At 12.15 p.m., um, 622,450 countries uh, confirmed uh, they had contracted um, the virus. It said 133 countries. The death toll as of yesterday was 28,793. Those recovering are 134,539. It all started in China in 2019. So I can start out by saying that the coronavirus is indeed a fact. Can't deny it. Can't say that it doesn't exist. It does. And it's been well documented. However, let's just look at the facts. Because you can, you can present statistics and depending upon your persuasion, uh, what your political perspectives are, you can make things say pretty much what you want them to say. And I think that's happening big time as it relates to this, vir- this virus. The facts are, the data is in. I did a lot of research on this. And... Um, Seasonal flu is a thousand times more harmful than COVID-19 or the coronavirus. The population of Europe is 741 million. According to the World Health Organization, influenza may infect up to 20% of the population in the winter months. And I'm going to say this a couple times. Every winter months, Okay. This is about 148 million cases of flu every year. On March 23rd, 2020, there had been 170,424 confirmed cases of coronavirus or COVID-19. Across the whole of France, since the first case was identified on January 25th, which is almost exactly two months ago, Now, if the number of COVID-19 victims is multiplied by six to estimate the number for 12 months, the number would be a little over a million confirmed cases. The The pharmacy and therapeutic journal states that common influenza affects 9% of the world's population annually. That includes 1 billion infections 4 million severe cases and 400,000 deaths each year. I want to say that again, each year. As stated previously, however, the projection for COVID-19 infection is about one one-thousandth as severe as the common flu. One billion infections of flu compared to approximately one million infections of COVID-19. In other words... The common flu is a thousand times more dangerous than COVID-19. Chris Quintana from Calvary Cyprus 
um, sent this out to us this week, and I like his perspective. So I'm just going to read it. It's only a couple paragraphs long, so this is from our, our good friend Chris, who will be one of the speakers here for our conference. Chris says, consider this if you're buying into the hysteria. In 2009, we had H1N1. Here are the numbers from the CDC. 59 million Americans contracted the N1, H1N1 virus. 265,000 were hospitalized. As a result, 12,000 died. Thomas H. Mogg, the second, March 19, 2010. Swine flu danger appears to be embedding Los Angeles, the Los Angeles Times. Archives from uh, the original on March 23, 2010. Um, and he says, now ask yourself, were people acting like it was the beginning of the apocalypse? Were there shortages of toilet paper or whatever? Were people walking around like zombies with face masks? Was there the media hysteria like we see with this? The administration in charge back then was not blamed for the deaths back then, and by all accounts did a terrible job reacting. Go read the details. Don't perpetuate the hand-wringing hysteria and get a little perspective. It's one of the reasons I've entitled, um, again, this message, just the facts. Well, the fact is, is the virus exists. The fact is, the way that it's being presented has caused worldwide panic and worldwide hysteria. Now, some, another facts that I got from another resource, just trying to put this in perspective, is as we look at this, looking at the ages of those who are dying of this virus, the death rates for the people um, under 50 years of age is 0.2%. It means that if you're under 50 years of age and don't live in China, you are more likely to win the lottery, which has a 1 to 40, one in 45 million chance to win. That's putting it in perspective. Let's take one of the worst days so far, and that would have been the 10th of February. It's a little bit outdated. When 108 people in China died of coronavirus. Now, on the same day, 26,283 people died of cancer. 24,641 people died of heart disease. 4,300 people died of diabetes. Suicide took 28 times more lives than the virus did. Mosquito kill 2,740 people every day. Humans kill 1,300 fellow humans every day. And snakes kill 137 people every day. And sharks kill two people a year. And um, as we just look at this and try to put it in some sort of perspective, and yet, it has turned into a worldwide pandemic. And I'm going to put something up on a chart right now of global pandemics. And uh, we're going back to 165 to 180 AD with the Antonian plague. Um, that worldwide plague took an estimated 
um, five million deaths. We have what we call the bubonic plague, 1347 to 1351. 75 million to 200 million are believed to have been, uh, have died in the bubonic plague. We have the plague of Justin N. And that was uh, 541 to 542 AD. 30 to 50 million people are estimated to have died. We have the Asian flu. We had 2 million worldwide deaths. We had the cholera pandemic, 1817 till now. Seven global cholera pandemics epidemics have been recorded since the first time in 1817. Um, the seventh started in 1961, is ongoing in small outbursts, and all of them together have killed millions worldwide. We have the Hong Kong flu, 68 to 71. Between one and four million are believed to have died from this influenza pandemic. The Spanish flu, that's 100 years ago. Um, over 50 million are believed to have died. Genuine, major, worldwide, global pandemic. HIV and AIDS, first reported in 1981. Since the beginning of the epidemic, 75 million people have been infected with the HIV virus, and about 32 million people have died of HIV. In the Hainai epidemic, 2009-2010, death tolls from H1N1 is believed to be 150,000 to 575,000. And now we have the COVID-19, the only pandemic from a coronavirus. And they're equating this um, COVID-19 to these other global pandemics, which actually were genuine global pandemics. So as we... think this through and and, and some of the effects of this is what's happening as a result of the shutdown I had to really be selective because there's so many things that I could address at this time and the implications the Los Angeles mayor announces water and power will be shut off for non-essential businesses uh, that don't close so if you don't close your, your store um, in Los Angeles, you just get your power turned off. We have, and I told you I have to be very selective here because I have a lot of notes. The Chicago mayor warns that those who go outside to exercise are subject to arrest. The, the mayor of New Jersey says he will not only arrest you, he will charge you $10,000 and you could sit in jail for six months if you'll go outside. 3.3 million Americans just filed for unemployment. There are so many things, my friends, that are going on uh, behind the scenes. Uh, the effect in our world, in our world economy, it's a fact. But as Chris said so well, it begs the question, why? When you look at just the facts and you compare them to real global pandemics, it begs the question, why? 
And the question is, is, is there something bigger going on behind the scenes that we're not being told? And the answer to that question is absolutely yes. And it's called technocracy. Now we're gonna have Patrick Wood with us who has studied technocracy for the last 40 years. He is one of the most brilliant men I met. I called him, talked to him this week. He had just done, just finished doing an interview about uh, his knowledge and research over the last 40 years on technocracy. Some of you are hearing that word for the first time. What is technocracy? Well, first of all, it's a noun. But if I'd give you a brief definition of it, technocracy is the government's control of society or industry by an elite group of technical experts. In other words, technocracy, there's been something behind the scenes that lines up with scripture where they're trying to bring about technocracy instead of democracy, actually a worldwide government. Now, in other words, globalism. And I think of Trump, just my two cents worth now, it's not my notes. Um, I think if, if Trump would have got in, we'd probably already be there. But make no state mistake about it. There are forces at work and always have been, knowingly or unknowingly, who've been trying to bring our world into a one world order. Now, this just happened this morning. I have my devotions in the morning, but I also go to my mail, and I always like to read world news prophecy. So what I'm about to read to you is as fresh as just a couple hours ago. This was their lead story. From world, if you're taking notes, um, growing call for one world government in response to virus outbreak. Former UK Prime Minister Gordon Brown has called on world leaders to form a temporary global government in response to the uh, coronavirus pandemic that would involve the G20, the UN Security Council, the World Bank, and an international monetary system. Um, That's this morning. And it's probably the gist of, of the Bible study this morning. And when I opened that up, I said, Lord, that is pretty good timing. So as we, we look at this, um, it begs another question. Does the Bible teach that there will be a one world government? That's an emphatic yes. If you're taking notes, look at Revelation chapter 13, where the Antichrist, after being assassinated, comes back to life, he gets his power from the dragon, and it says all the world worshiped him under his one world global system. It doesn't start out that way. Um, let me tell you something else that we do. We're, we're such um, very adamant about teaching chapter and chapter and verse by verse through the Bible, and we will continue to do that. But because of the the times and the lateness of the hour, we're going to finish the Gospel of John. We just started again in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But when we finish John, the timing of this is so interesting because we're in the last 
section of the, of the Gospel of John right now. And next Sunday is Palm Sunday. And week after that is Easter. Well, that's exactly where we would be if we were studying chapter by chapter through John. And the, it's, I just see it as uh, um, the, the, the hand of the Lord and, and, and going before us. But having said that, there's such a curiosity today. And there's so many churches and so many organizations that don't have a clue about the book of Revelation. Um, Protestantism, all of Roman Catholicism, take an allegorical um, or they spiritualize the scriptures and they do not take it literally. And my friends, now more than ever, you need to understand what more is about to take place. And in order to understand the book of Revelation, you have to understand the book of Daniel. So this is what we're going to do. We're gonna finish John. And then on Sunday mornings, we're gonna be teaching verse by verse through the entire book of Revelation. On Wednesday evening, we're gonna be teaching through the book of Daniel. And if we're still here, um, we will go back to the book of Acts and finish our way all the way through the book of Revelation. And then we'll go back to the book of Genesis if we're still here. And we'll keep doing that until the Lord comes back. Now I know I can't hear you, but I want to amen right now. I heard that way out there somewhere. (laughs) So um, I felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to do this because of the, um, for lack of a better word, uh, ignorance and uh, not taking God's word literally. And when I think of Revelation, this is, this is how it ends. Don't add anything to it. Don't take away anything from it. Because the time for the Lord's coming is close. Revelation 1 verse 3 says, Blessed are those who read the words of this prophecy. And it is a revelation of Jesus Christ and his plan for what we're seeing unfolding. These are stepping stones right now of what's going to be. And I think it's, it's being done um, to shake us up. Technocracy is this uh, global elite, but they're just pawns because Satan's MO, his method of operation, his OM or whatever, is that he wants to be worshiped. He wants to destroy Israel. And uh, that is his plan, and he has his human vessels and instruments that he uses. So, um, to me, if I would summarize what just took place, this is nothing more than what the Bible calls a birth pain. And I have to admit, this is the biggest birth pain that I've seen in my life. There was one bigger, but I wasn't born yet. I was born in 51. This birth pain happened in 1948. The biggest birth pain and the next biggest birth pain, one I witnessed personally, what's going on right now, and the other one I missed by three years. But it was during that 
period of time. And so it's unprecedented, but I don't think people realize just how much of an impact, and the reason our text this morning is Matthew chapter 24, these verses that I'm going to have you to go, I, would, I want you to go back to Matthew 24 at this point. This is our text. I've been sort of leading up to it because I wanted to make the point that what we're witnessing is a birth pain, a major one, biggest one I've ever seen. And um, if I told you after my trip to the conference in Phoenix, before I left, and if I would have said my last message here before I went there, if I would have said, well, when I get home, I think the world's gonna be completely changed. You won't be able to come to church. You'll be... um, locked into your houses, your first, second, and fourth constitutional rights will be done away with and taken away, you would have looked at me and said, what planet are you from? And it would have been crazy. And yet, what happened? Just like that, the unthinkable happened. We walked around for a couple days just saying the same word over and over again. Surreal. Surreal. It's a surreal thing that happened, but something clearly foretold as far as a certain generation is concerned. Now in Matthew 24, um, we read here, uh, Pastor Chuck made a film many years ago called The Parable of the Fig Tree. And it was all about Israel coming back and becoming a nation again. And we read it, let's just read it again now, learn the parable of the fig tree, always emblematic of Israel. When the branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer's near. Well, we're getting Mother's Day. We say it around here. When Mother's Day comes, I expect to see the leaves coming out on the trees. And like flies on Lake Winnebago. <laughs> they usually show up about the same time. So you also, when you see all these things, all what things? I'm going to be coming back to that. Know that it is near at the very door. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things are fulfilled. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will no way pass away. Um, The Lord is basically saying, and what Chuck put in a movie form, is a generation that sees Israel come back. All right, it's been debated. What's a generation? Is it 40 years? Well, Edgar Weissnett found out with his book, 88 Reasons, it's 1988. Well, he was wrong. And then we could say, well, a generation is 70 years. God's given man three score and 10. That's a generation. But it also says that the children of Israel were in the land of Egypt for four generations. They were there for 400 years. So what is it? I don't know. But I do know that we're past the 70 because it's 71 years, if not 72. I believe it's just saying the people that are alive when Israel becomes a nation again is going to see the fulfillment of all Bible prophecy. That is what's being read here. I take it literally. It will not come to pass till all Bible prophecy is confirmed. Well, when throughout history, there hasn't been an Israel. They were defeated by the Romans in 70 AD and they didn't become a nation again until 1948. 
So man, instead of trusting the word of God, leaned upon his own understanding and said, oh, well, it must mean that God is through with Israel because they rejected their Messiah. Therefore, all the promises that belong to or did belong to Israel are inherited by the church. And we call that replacement theology because it replaces the promises that God gave to Israel and now they only apply to the church. But you know what? There was always that group, minority, Church of Philadelphia. They wouldn't compromise. They said the book of Revelation is the last book in the Bible for a reason. And we believe that God is going to bring Israel back and plant them in the land. It'll be like the Garden of Eden. It'll prosper. It'll flourish. And people scoffed at that. And uh, they did it for hundreds of years. And yet, here's the facts. The fact is, Israel is alive and well. The fact is, it did become a nation on May 14th, 1948. And Jesus says, when that generation sees it happen, then you should be watching. And I want to point out several times here um, that he wants us to know these things ahead of time um, and actually be looking for them. Uh, The parable of the fig tree, I want to go back now to verse three and work my way up to this. The Olivet Discourse begins in Matthew 24. And they're looking at the temple and um, the Lord is actually prophesying about um, not one stone being left upon another as the disciples were admiring uh, Herod's temple. And then the Lord just said it was gonna be destroyed. Was it? Yeah, 38 years later in 70 AD. But then in verse three, um, we read when he put all the gospels together that there was only four guys that had this conversation with the Lord. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, this had to blow their minds away because he's the Messiah. Even though he was telling them over and over again that he was gonna go to Jerusalem, he was gonna suffer, he was gonna die, he was gonna rise again. All they saw is the kingdom has come, you're here, and we want a part of the administration. That was where their heads were at. So this had to really set them back in verse three. And verse three says, now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign? I wanna stop right there, and I want you to notice that it's in the singular. One sign, the sign. But then it goes on to say, and of your coming and of the end of the age, are actually asking here two questions. The first one is, Lord, what is the sign? And then the second question is, and the coming at the end of the age. So now they're projecting out. He's sort of got their attention. Now he's got them thinking something into the future. A sign to look for. And then in verse, um, oh, pick it up in verse five. For many will come in my name saying I am Christ and will deceive many. 
You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Okay, last days. You want to know, he's going to answer their question of the sign. The sign, well, let's just go back to it. The sign is our text this morning. That is the sign. We're gonna, I'm going to come back. Um, the nation of Israel is going to come back again, and they're going to be reestablished. Boy, can I get sidetracked here, because when we were on Masada last November, um, actually became friends with a rabbi who was writing some of the scriptures in the very room that in 73 A.D., when they were running from the Romans on top of Masada, they all took, 900 people took their lives. Rather than um, the rabbi that spoke to us, he he likened it to being on um, the Twin Towers and you're on the top floors. You know you're coming down. So what do you see? You see people actually jumping off. Well, I don't know what I would choose if if I'm going to be burned to death or just... Do it quick. And he's trying to explain to us because they take suicide very seriously. And he spent some time with our group that brought tears to many of our people's eyes of what happened. But I asked him a question. I said, are you aware of Ezekiel 36 being found in a scroll room? He says, how do you know that? I says, I know a lot about that. And as we began to talk about it, Isaiah 36 and 37 is telling a future for Israel. They knew. They knew even though they were going to die that they were going to come back. And as I began to give my Bible study out this in the oldest, one of the oldest synagogues in the world, this rabbi comes out of his office and so we start interviewing him along with the study. And um, I don't know why I got sidetracked on that except to make the point they knew. Those people, those 900 knew that they were going to come back someday. That's what Jesus is saying here. When they do come back, that'll be the generation that sees it all wrapped up. So question is a, a simple one as we look at the first verse 6 through 7a, wars and rumors of wars. I have a chart I'm looking at of uh, things that could trigger e- either the Ezekiel 38 war. All the players are in place for that one. That's a rumor. Another rumor right now is India versus Pakistan could start World War III. Russia versus the U.S., that could trigger World War III. China versus the U.S., that changes on a day-by-day basis. Iran versus the U.S., all of these are wars and rumors of wars, some with the potential of actually leading to another world war. Now, when I think of wars that um, are world-changing, we've never had a war like World War I. We never had a war world war like World War II because it was global. 
and, and the world was involved with it. So if you go back to Matthew chapter 24, verse 7, it's a simple question. Are we seeing wars and rumors of wars? I would have to say yes to that one. And then he says there will be famines. Let's just stop there and ask the questions. Do we see famines um, in more intensity and more severe than usual in the world today? Well, let's just start with the drought. I'm just going to speak of one nation right now. It's Somalia and the drought that they're experiencing. As many as 750,000 people could die as Somalia's drought worsens in the coming months. The UN has warned declaring a famine in a new era. The UN says tens of thousands of people have died after what is said to be East Africa's worst drought for 60 years. Bay comes before the sixth area to be officially declared a famine zone, mostly in parts of southern Somalia controlled by the Islamic uh, Shahab. Some 12 million people across the region need food and aid, the UN says. The situation in the Bay region was worse than anything previously recorded, said senior UN technical advisor, Ganeni Maloney. Uh, the rate of malnutrition among children in Bay Region is at 58%. This is a record rate of acute malnutrition. She told journalists in the Kenya capital of Nairobi. Um, uh, Nairobi, that's it. This is almost double the rate at which a famine is declared. In total, Four million people are in crisis in Somalia, with 750 people at risk of death in the coming four months in the absence of adequate response, uh, the UN's Food Security and Nutrition Analysis Unit says. So it begs a question, just on one level now, just drought. And I've only picked out one country, Somalia. And I ask the question, if the Lord says the generation that sees him return. Matter of fact, just I'm going to refer to this a couple times. Just look at verse 42. He's going to start telling us to watch. Watch, therefore, for you, do know, you don't know what hour your Lord is coming. And in verse 44, he says, therefore, be also ready for the Son of Man is coming when you don't expect him. But he tells us to be watching. And I asked the question, well, watch for what? Well, rumors of war, famines. Let me take this famine in a whole other direction. I'm going to put something on the screen right now of something that's not even being reported on the news and the severity of the swarms of locusts threatening the Middle East. This is unprecedented. And it is bringing about famine as they are literally um, a a threat uh, to the Middle East. Um, As many as seven, as many as 750 people, oh, that, okay, I'm sorry, I want to read this one on Israel. 
Um, and we have this map up here where it started. It's actually made its way into, into China. Israel is a little nervous about this one. Israel is also preparing for the possibility of the first desert locust infestation in seven years, according to Channel 2 News 12. The infestation in 2013 caused hundreds of thousands of shekels in damage to Israel's agricultural industry. In a recent situation, elevation, agriculture minister Hanagabi said that there is currently only a low chance that the locusts will come to Israel, but stressed that the forecast could change and preparations should be made in advance. Now, there are scriptures that I don't have time to go to that clearly in the Old Testament are declared acts of judgment where the Lord actually used locusts as a form of uh, judgment. I think they're simply birth pains that are happening right now. All right, let's go back to Matthew chapter 24 and read verse 7b. The first one, famines. Well, you either see it or you don't, my friends. The second one would be pestilences. Well, I guess this coronavirus qualifies. I suppose HIV qualifies. Go ahead, fill in the blank. Pestilences that we see around the world today. And then it says the next one, and earthquakes in various places. I'm going to put something on the screen. What you're looking at is the magnitude of a 6.0 or greater earthquake since the 1900s. Just let the chart speak for itself. But having said that, uh, less than a week ago, March, uh, no, just over a week ago, a 7.5 hit the eastern shores of Russia. 7.5, they were issuing tsunami reports all the way to Hawaii. They canceled the ones in Hawaii. That is one major earthquake. There was a 6.1 just off off the Philippines uh, in the same week. And then, this is less than a week old that I stumbled across. This is on March 23rd. And the headlines read, a large section of Yellowstone breathing heavy from magna under the surface. It's got scientists shook. They're so shook that they're actually trying to devise ways to drill into the center of this. And I'm not understanding their thinking and somehow getting water in there, but it's rising up and down six inches on a regular basis. And um, it's the largest and most dangerous volcano in the world. And you can do your own research of what the implications would be that it would happen. And um, it hasn't happened, but yet here it is, March 23rd, less than a week ago, they're talking about it. And when I think of earthquakes in various places, uh, the facts speak for themselves. There's the facts right there. Question, do we see famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places? And if the Lord tells us to watch, unless you're taking your Bible seriously, unless you're teaching all of it, especially Bible prophecy, how are we 
as the church going to be able to give any answers from a biblical perspective of what's really shaking down right now? And why has this exploded into something where the earth is actually groaning? Do you know where the term birth pains comes from? Turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Now I want to hear those pages turning out there. It's hard, but Romans 8. And I'm looking at verses 18 to 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Here we're telling, it's telling us that the, the world, pestilences, earthquakes, um, famines, is at a groaning moan together until even now. And not only they, but we also who are the first fruits of the Spirit. All right, that's me. That's you. That would be a born again Christian. But even though we are, even within ourselves we groan. Um, Let me just stop and say that as a word of encouragement. I know a lot of people out there that are just sighing. You don't have words. You're waking up every day, you don't have no plans, you can just sit in your house, you can't go to work. And a lot of people just do this. (sighs) I want you to know something. That we within ourselves groan, what? Waiting for the adoption and redemption of today. One of the greatest parts of being a born-again believer is the hope that we have knowing that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared. But if you have no hope, if you don't know why these things are happening, why they're unfolding, then you don't have that hope. But here we're told that we have this hope and we're actually eagerly awaiting for our adoption. Well, that's another word for the rapture. God has a time when he's gonna take the church out. These are stepping stones to what's gonna unfold completely into the tribulation. And in First Thessalonians chapter five, First Thessalonians chapter four, speaking of the rapture, when he gets through with all the things that are going to happen, he says, therefore comfort one another with these words. Can I say that again? Somebody yell, yes. <laughs> Can I say it again? Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Why? Because even though the world is groaning in travail, um, we ourselves groan, but we also are eagerly waiting for adoption. You know what that tells me? I have hope. Yeah, it is all going to come crashing down. Not all right now. Um, This 
worldwide pandemic is not called for. There's something else going on to bring about a one world government. For we, verse 24, were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, then we eagerly wait. Boy, I'll tell you, with all this coming down, I'm saying, Lord, I'm ready. You know, bring it on. And I'm hoping that what's happening in the world today, let me say this a couple times during the study. Some people have drifted away from their first love. And they've uh, gotten involved with the ways of the world. They've gone back to old friends. My friend, if that's you this morning, what, one of the reasons that these things are happening is to get your attention. Make you sit at home. Remember when your parents, you did something wrong? Stand in a corner. Think about it. <laughs> and you stood in a corner and thought about it. I think we're getting shaken up a little bit. The Lord's saying, you better sit down for a while. You better think about it. And what my word says about these things. And what category are you in? Are you in the category of those who are eagerly waiting and have hope? Or are you uh, having no hope and despair and thinking that this is all there is? Verse 26, likewise the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. For the Spirit himself makes intercession for us groans which cannot be uttered. And I just gave you one. A lot of people are just... They don't have the words. Just go, well, my Bible says right here that the Holy Spirit understands that prayer and makes intercession for us. For he who searches a heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God who are called according to his purposes. Yes, everything, not some things. So if it's shaking people up that you've been praying for, then that's working something out good uh, for them. So let's just leave that there. Let's go back to Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 42. Again, reiterating here just a little bit. Um, Right after the parable of the fig tree, it says, but of that day and hour knows no man, no, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Uh, Don't overlook that, even the angels of heaven. Because that means that the devil himself doesn't know when the rapture is going to take place. And, um, but yet, I believe he's always had a man in place. I personally believe Um, I personally believe the Antichrist is alive today. Warren Smith and I are good friends. He sent me a song that Dylan just wrote, probably the longest one um, he's ever written. It's about the assassination of JFK. You guys gotta check this out. It's on YouTube. And um, one of the lines in it as uh, JFK was being shot and he goes through it and in graphic detail, he said that a friend leaned over to him and said, now it's the time of the Antichrist. That's just one of the lines in there. But it's quite, it's quite the song and the timing of it, I thought, quite interesting. 
Um, so we're told that no man knows the day or the hour. Um, I believe that there's going to be a short-term recovery. I think life is going to get somewhat back to normal. I think people are going to start eating and drinking and giving in marriage. And, um, um, and then I believe the rapture will take place, but then the Lord says, watch therefore. But again, it begs the question, watch for what? Therefore, be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you don't expect him. Having said that, he also clearly said the generation that sees Israel regathered is gonna see all these things that I've talked about. What did he talk about besides the sign, which is Israel? What are gonna be some of the signs at the end of the age? Well, Israel will be reborn, wars and rumors of wars, pestilence, earthquakes in diverse places, and famines. Simple question, answer it in your own heart and mind. Either you see it or you don't. But if he's telling us to watch, he's also told us what to watch for. More important, why we need to know our Bible and know it well. Because there will be those who will, who will scoff. Just imagine a non-believer coming and visiting and I said what I said earlier. Okay, now when I come back, the world is gonna be completely different. You won't be able to come to church. You'll have lost your job and been enrolling for unemployment. There it is. And uh, again, if I told you that and we'd be only able to broadcast live stream, if you're a visitor, you go, that guy's just off his rocker. And yet it happened. It's a fact that it happened. So, um, of warning... um, I need to close this up here. Um, A word of encouragement to you faithful ones that no matter what you're going through, um, Matthew 24, verse 45 through 47, after he says, make sure you're watching because you don't know the hour when he's coming. Word of encouragement to you faithful servants of the Lord. He says, who then is faithful, verse 45, and a wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. Rewards today. And that's for those that are faithful and wise. On the other hand, there's a word of warning to those who, for whatever reason, have gotten weary and gone back to your old ways. You've backslidden. You've left your first love. Paul, John had to address the church of Ephesus, church that he was partially responsible in in overseeing. And he had things going for them, but he says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You've left your first love. Didn't lose it, you left it. Now, if you're listening live stream today and you're, you're fitting in that category, there's, this is one of the birth pangs that hopefully the Lord's got your attention. And you're thinking, this isn't, I need to get back to my first love. 
This is what you need to do. I call them the three R's. I want you to remember. Remember how sweet it was fellowshipping with brothers and sisters. Remember how excited you were when you first came to know Jesus. You had to tell everybody. Remember that. And, um, um, and then repent. Repent from your backsliding of your first love and then final R, return. Remember, repent, and return. And just come on home. My friends, God loves you. And if you've played the prodigal or you're playing the prodigal son right now and you find yourself in a pig pen, then come to your senses and realize, just like the prodigal did, what am I doing here? My father has hired servants that are living better than I. I know what I'll do. I'm going home. I'm going back to where I belong and I'll just have dad ask him for a job and see if he'll help me out. And this is how... Our Heavenly Father looks at you, prodigal. When he made that decision to come back, he looked out and he saw his son coming from a long distance away. And he runs out to meet him, says, kill a fatted calf, put a robe on him, put a ring on him, we're having a party. For my son who is dead is alive again. Don't let the devil beat you up and say you've done too much and you can't come back. You can And so the rest of this here, the second part, says, but if the evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming. To me, this is one of the strongest arguments for the pre-trib rapture in the Bible. If if you're pre-wrath, mid-trib, post, then basically what you're saying is my Lord is delaying his coming. In other words, he can't come until this happens. Well, that... This scripture right here blows it right out of the water. But that servant says in his heart, oh, my master is delaying his coming. I could mess around. I mean, when I see the Antichrist come on the scene, that's if you're pre-wrath or mid-trib. Maybe then I'll get more serious about serving the Lord. But basically in your heart, you're saying by taking that position, my master is delaying his coming. It destroys the imminent return of Christ which Paul looked for at his time. The disciples did. There was even a rumor going around that Peter asked the Lord about. Lord, there's this rumor going around about John that uh, he's still gonna be alive when you return. And the Lord then blew him off and said, Peter, that's none of your business. You follow me. But my point is simple. Imminency. It was in the early church and... Um, the nonsense that Darboy reinvented in the 1800s is ludicrous. That's all part of the New Testament. And so what he does, my Lord's delaying his coming, so he's got this attitude. He begins to beat his fellow servants, to eat and drink with the drunkards. That means going back with his old buddies and hanging and partying and doing what they used to do. The master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him, and an hour he's not aware of, and he will cut him in two, appoint him his position with the hypocrites. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I have to say, it's a fact, and nothing will change it. I want you to turn with me to Psalm 46. 
I realize some of this has been a pretty straightforward, heavy Bible study. But this balances it out. And it's the hope that we have. Psalm 46, one through three. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, and though the mountains shake with its swelling, Selah. Think on it. Think on what? That God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. We have a solid rock. Christians are not exempt, and this will be our last scripture this morning in Matthew chapter seven, describing two different kinds of people. Just because we're Christians, this is affecting us all, believer and non-believer alike. And the Lord actually speaks of these two types of believers and the reality that whether you're saved or unsaved, you're still gonna go through tribulation. One of the arguments against the pre-trib rapture, oh, you guys are just trying to escape tribulation. Impossible. The Bible says those who live godly will suffer persecution and the world will hate you on top of it. So I'm in Matthew 7 right now, and these, these will be our final scriptures this morning. Two different groups of people. And where is your foundation right now? Verse 24, therefore whoever hears these sayings of mine, all right, you've heard the Lord saying about this generation, what's gonna happen? Therefore whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to this wise man who built his house on the rock, and of course, that's Jesus. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on that house, it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. The storms of life, I believe, will intensify, just as labor pains in, on, on uh, the a birth of a woman, they get larger, shorter together, and then finally it's birthed. But then, on the other hand, now everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Why? They had no hope. They had no solid rock in their life that they could stand on in the middle of a storm. We're in the middle of a storm right now. And so what should we do? Be of good courage. God is an ever-present help in time of our difficulty. Though the earth is shaken, though it looks like all things are falling apart, all things are falling together. And we're having a, a Bible study just explaining biblically these are why these things are happening. It is a fact. Will you pray with me this morning? Lord, as we deal with... Um, a current event, what they're calling this global pandemic. We know because of your word that you clearly foresaw these things and you actually told us to watch for them. 
Now, just in the honesty of our own heart this morning, Lord, we have to ask ourselves, either we see these things, the wars, the rumors of wars, the famines, the pestilence, the earthquakes, either they are or they're not. But Lord, you told us, and I believe you're allowing this to happen because you're not willing that any should perish. And your word tells us when these things begin to happen, then we're to look up because our redemption is drawing nigh. And we know that's a fact. In Jesus' name, amen. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, Though its waters roar and be troubled, and though the mountains shake with its swelling, Selah. Think on it. Think on what? That God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. We have a solid rock. Christians are not exempt, and this will be our last scripture this morning in Matthew chapter 7, describing two different kinds of people. Just because we're Christians, this is affecting us all, believer and non-believer alike. And the Lord actually speaks of these two types of believers and the reality that whether you're saved or unsaved, you're still gonna go through tribulation. One of the arguments against the pre-trib rapture, oh, you guys are just trying to escape tribulation. Impossible. The Bible says those who live godly will suffer persecution and the world will hate you on top of it. So I'm in Matthew 7 right now and these these will be our final scriptures this morning. Two different groups of people. And where is your foundation right now? Verse 24, therefore whoever hears these sayings of mine, all right, you've heard the Lord saying about this generation, what's gonna happen? Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to this wise man who built his house on the rock. And of course, that's Jesus. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on that house. It did not fall for it was founded on the rock. The storms of life, I believe, will intensify just as labor pains and on, on uh, the a birth of a woman. They get larger, shorter together, and then finally it's birthed. But then on the other hand, now everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on the house, and it fell and great was its fall. Why? They had no hope. They had no solid rock in their life that they could stand on in the middle of a storm. We're in the middle of a storm right now. And so what should we do? Be of good courage. God is an ever-present help in time of our difficulty. Though the earth is shaken, though it looks like all things are falling apart, all things are falling together. And we're having a a Bible study just explaining biblically these are why these things are happening. It is a fact. Will you pray with me this morning?
Lord, as we deal with a, a current event, what they're calling this global pandemic, we know because of your word that you clearly foresaw these things and you actually told us to watch for them. Now, just in the honesty of our own heart this morning, Lord, we have to ask ourselves, either we see these things, the wars, the rumors of wars, the famines, the pestilence, the earthquakes, either they are or they're not. But Lord, you told us, and I believe you're allowing this to happen because you're not willing that any should perish. And your word tells us when these things begin to happen, then we're to look up because our redemption is drawing nigh. And we know that's a fact. In Jesus' name, amen.